Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I hope everybody is ex excited to be here as I am today. Amen. So we've talked about it a couple times. It's Memorial Day weekend, and it's not about cookouts, and it's not about a three-day weekend. It's about the men and women that paid the highest price for us to be here today. Amen. So <clears throat> it's really fitting, and I'm really blessed to be here on Memorial Day and getting to talk to all you guys. So I'm really excited. Heather had to remind me to stay calm, to talk slow, to breathe. So we're going to get through it. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. So I've had something that's been weighing on me a little bit. And I feel like God's been talking to me and drawing me to this subject. And I kind of talked to Kyle about it a little bit at work that I was drawn to this subject. And then <clears throat> Rob asked me, to speak on Memorial Day, and I'm like, well, this is really fitting. So Rob's been working his way through Hebrews, and we've learned about how great Jesus is, that, that Jesus is greater than the angels, all the mighty angels, that Jesus is greater than Moses, and that Jesus is our true rest and our great high priest. So I haven't really read through the book of Hebrews, and this has been so enlightening to me, and it kind of goes in the line with what we're going to be talking about today. So if everybody's found Luke 24, or 23, if we'd please stand for the reading of God's word. This was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus called out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Lord, we come to you today, and we want to thank you for this scripture. We want to thank you for your word and for giving your son Jesus Christ for us. Please open our minds and our hearts so that we can take this lesson and that we can carry it out into the world. Lord, please be with me and bring me calmness and boldness and strength to hold up your word and to hold you up and to bring all glory to you. Please lead, guide, and direct us in all things that we do. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of background to this. Jesus had been betrayed and he had been handed over. He had a trial and he was convicted. He was then beaten and mocked and he was crucified on the cross. This took place when Jesus was on the cross. So verse 44 starts out and it talks about the darkness. It talks about the sun being blocked out and the light failing. Solar eclipses happen today. It's, it's not uncommon. They do happen. But this talks about a three-hour eclipse, and that's not normal. That is not natural, that the sun be blocked out for three hours. We've actually seen God do this before, and it's in Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there be, may be darkness over the land of Egypt, and a darkness to be felt, 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward the heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land for three days. So now we have three hours of darkness. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, and these people are mocking him, and, and they don't know what's happening. They can't see what's happening. And then the sun's blocked out. Verse 45 talks about the curtain. It says that while the light failed, the curtain in the temple was torn. And this is very important because that's what divided. The curtain is what divided the holy place from the most holy or the holy of holies. And that's where the priests went in. Once a year, typically, for the Day of Atonement, he would go in there and give the sacrifice of the year for everybody in Israel. So when the curtain ripped, that is, that is eye-opening to all the religious leaders of the day to be sitting there. And in Matthew 27, it has a little more detail about it. Matthew 27, verse 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and that the earth shook and the rocks were split. So not just the curtain being ripped, but the whole earth shaken, and it's dark, and the curtain's ripped in the most holy of holy places, it's now open. So for these religious leaders that think that they've put this movement that Jesus has inspired all these people, that he is the Messiah, they're standing there and seeing all this. And it says later in Luke that, that people realize that he was innocent. So we go on to verse 46. And this is Jesus crying out. So all this is happening and Jesus cries out. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my soul. Into your hands I commit my soul. He gave up his spirit. Death did not take Jesus from this world. Amen. Jesus gave up his spirit. So when the darkness and the earth shaken, all this is happening and Jesus gives up his soul, this is powerful. This is truly powerful. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus had no sin, right? All of our sin is being put on Jesus on the cross. And now the earth's shaken while this is happening. This innocent man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is dying for us because we could not live up to the law. He is our sacrifice. So he has all of our sin and he gives up his life. His spirit, he gives up for us into the hands of his father. And that was powerful for me. And it made me think of some things that, that Rob had covered in Hebrews. And that very moment, it's just so powerful to me. I thought there has to be so much in this moment as Jesus commits his spirit up for us. So I watched some studies and read some. So I've mainly based all of my sermons in the New Testament. That's where I feel comfortable. That's where I feel at home. And in this, I have to challenge myself. So we're all as a group going to dive deeper in this together. And it's going to be a little bit of a curveball. Because we're going to spend the rest of this in the Old Testament. So we'll be in Leviticus. So I did some studies on Leviticus to see exactly what's happening. Because in Jesus' time, they had the temple. Started with the tabernacle. Goes to the temple. But they're given these sacrifices for, for their atonement. For different things they had done. It was their payment of how... They got right with God. So Leviticus, for an Old Testament priest, we read it, and I've read it, and the first time I went through it, looking back, I underappreciated this book. It is so, so important for us today. There's so much in the Old Testament that we need to look at because it emboldens the New Testament. It builds on it. It sets the stage. 
So this is a job manual for the priests. It tells them exactly what to do and how to do it and when they were supposed to do it. And this is how people in Jesus' time and before the cross, on that side of the cross, how they got right with God. Luckily, we are on this side of the cross. And Jesus paid that penalty so that we don't have to do this, but it doesn't make it unimportant because this just brings Jesus up to show us how important he is, that he fulfilled the Old Testament law. And Jesus, I will show you today, fulfilled all of the Old Testament sacrifices, that he was our sacrifice, not just one, but he covers all five. So in that moment that he gives up his spirit to death, he is our sacrifice, even today, 2,000 years later, and will be 2,000 years more and forever, that he was so perfect that he fulfilled all these sacrifices. So there are five main sacrifices in Leviticus that we're going to cover today. And they are the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and then the sin and the guilt offerings. So it's going to seem like a lot, and we're going to focus a lot on it. But the focus is to bring glory to Jesus Christ and how one man lived a perfect life and fulfilled the sacrifice for these offerings for us today. So we're going to start with the burnt offering, and that's how Leviticus, we're going to kind of flow through it. And I'm going to be jumping to the New Testament because that's why this is so important to show how Jesus fulfilled all these offerings in Leviticus. So do not feel obligated to try to follow me because I've got some wrote down and we'll be doing some flipping. So we're just going to take this adventure together. So the burnt offering will be in Leviticus 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, If this offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So as we look at that, this is the Lord talking to Moses and has to be a male for a burnt offering. Has to be a male, has to be without blemish. Jesus fills both of those, right? Amen. Without blemish is very important. So it says the person providing the offering needs to lay his hand on the head of the animal. And th this is symbolic, right? Because we're all blemished. The person bringing this offering to the Lord, he has a blemish. He has something that doesn't make him perfect. So he puts his hand on this animal to transfer. There's a transference. It's a physical representation that you are taking an unblemished person and you're transferring that, a blemished person, you're transferring that to an unblemished animal. And then that animal is sacrificed to the Lord so that you don't have to, right? A life for a life. So in Matthew... 26 verse 50 Jesus said to him friend do what you came to do they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him so when we look at that we think about who is laying the hands on this offering on this sacrifice on this unblemished sacrifice and we think about who had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? We know the Jews did, right? right? And they hand him over to the Romans. 
So we have Jew and Gentile, which in that time is the whole world. So the whole world had a hand in Jesus' crucifixion. So Jesus is our burnt offering, right? Because the whole world's laid hands on him. So we've transferred our blemishes to an unblemished Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus can do that for us? This offering is not a mandatory offering. This is a free will offering. This is something that people did to be in fellowship with God, to get close to God. They would give this offering to bring them together. So John 10, 17 tells us, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Death didn't take Jesus, right? He gave up his spirit. He committed his spirit to his Father. It was his free will that he gave himself up as our burnt offering. So when they go through it, it would talk about what they were supposed to do with this animal. But when you read through the burnt offering, it's the whole animal. Everything goes to God. They give it up wholly. There's nothing left over for anybody but the Lord. This is an offering that you give out of the willingness of your heart and the free will of your heart to be in fellowship and to be together and to be close with the Lord. Leviticus 1.13 tells us that it has to be a pleasing aroma. It talks about putting oils and frankincense on some of these other ones. So when it's burnt up, we think about these priests are in the tabernacle or the temple and they're getting these animals brought to them and they're following this to a T. They have to follow this to a T. This is their job description. And all these animals are being slaughtered at the gate. But it would be more humane than that. These people are not going to do this. This was the Lord's house. The tabernacle and the temple was where... He dwelled. So they were going to do it in a very humane and clean way. And it tells us that in verse 13, because when it's burnt up, it's pleasing to the Lord. It's not going to stink. There's not going to be just animal parts laying everywhere. They're going to be very, very methodical. This was their job, and this was their life. So this would be pleasing to the Lord. This would make him happy. So the second offering would be the grain offering. So we're going to jump to chapter 2 in Leviticus, verses 1 and 3. 1 through 3, tells us when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil and with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So when we look at the grain offering, it has to be the finest flour. It can't just be any flour. It has to be the finest flour. I would say that Jesus is the finest flour, right? He lived a perfect life, so he fulfills that. But when we look at it, the burnt offering, everything is burnt up. We're giving everything to the Lord. This whole offering is for the Lord. The grain offering, it says only a handful of the fine flour and the oil go to the Lord. But it says all the frankincense go. So all the frankincense is what's going to make this smell good and be good when it's, when it's cooking. All that goes to the Lord. 
but the flour and the oil, only a handful, because Aaron and his sons will, will get the rest. Because like I said, this was their life. This was their job. So this is how they ate. They would have their portion. It goes on to talk about only unleavened bread could be given as a grain offering. So I kind of looked into some leaven. And leaven's like yeast. And it will sit there and it will puff the bread up and make it bigger. And, you know, baking shows, you see them proofing breads and proofing maybe pizza dough. And they mix all this in and it grows. But the amount of bread hasn't changed, has it? Still started with the same amount. There's just this reaction that grows. And it made me think of Heather's hot rolls. While they're proofing, you don't run through the house. You don't bang. You let them do their thing. But when we look at this, the leaven puffs the bread up. And what could puff us up? Maybe our pride. Maybe the leaven could be sin in our life that's puffing us up. And none of that was for the Lord. This was unleavened bread. Then we look at Jesus as our grain offering. And he didn't have any leaven in him. No sin. He was humble. He was a servant. He was not prideful. I've heard Scott talk about it before. He could have come down, trumpets blaring, just the brightness of the sun. But he didn't. He came as a baby, humble, in the flesh, because he had no leaven. This is a memorial offering. It tells us that in verse 2. And then it says, this also has a pleasing aroma with the frankincense. So when we look at the memorial offering, we can look back in Luke 22:19, And this is Jesus. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we take part in that, we break the bread as Christ's body. We do that in remembrance or memorial of Jesus Christ, right? That we get to partake in that as a memorial. The grain offering was also a memorial. We look further back into John. And Jesus is talking about being the living bread. John 4, oh, excuse me, John 6, verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, for, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you for the life of the world is my flesh. So I don't know how it, it, it couldn't be Jesus as our grain offering, right? He tells us right here that he's the living bread and that he gave it to us through his flesh. So he is our grain offering. So that's two of the five that Jesus fulfills. The third one that we're going to cover today is the peace offering. And the peace offering will be in chapter 3 of Leviticus, verses 1 and 2. It says, If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering... If he offers an animal of the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. So here we are back to no blemish, right? And when you look through this, it's, it could be very similar to a burnt offering when you kind of look at how it goes through. But there are some differences. So this can be male or female, but still requires no blemish. This animal has to be perfect, quote-unquote perfect. So Jesus fills those. When it talks about how to present this offering, it still says that the offerer has 
to lay their hand on the head of the animal. That's still a symbol. That still has to happen. But it goes on to explain that not all of it's burnt up, which would be a burnt offering, just to give the animal and everything's burnt up to the Lord and it smells pleasing in fellowship with the Lord. This is a peace offering. So it goes on to tell you that some of the fat, and it explains where to find the fat, some of the organs, and it explains which organs, and it's very specific, that that would be for the Lord. And that would be burnt up, and that would be a pleasing aroma. Again, this is not something that's just dirty, and it's going to be stinking. This is something that's going to smell wonderful when you walk by. So think of like a, a, one of your favorite food joints when you walk by and you smell something cooking. These priests all day are going to be taking these sacrifices because the offerer kills the animal. So they're, they're kind of like a butcher, so to say. But it's important that they follow this to the law so that way the offering is pleasing to the Lord. Because if they don't follow it and they do something wrong, the offering is nothing. So it smells good and you smell it and the Lord is just, he loves it. He loves to see everybody come to fellowship with him and to give him these things to be close to him. So you'd burn that up for the Lord. Then the priests would take some for themselves because again, they have to eat. This is their livelihood, so they take a portion. And then the person giving the offering takes a portion. So now you have all three components of this offering all three people, the Lord, you have the priest, and you have the person offering it, they're all partaking in this, like a meal, right? And we sit down and we fellowship together and we break bread together, right? And that's, that's a great feeling when we can all get together and break bread and just fellowship with one another. This is how Old Testament people with a peace offering would have fellowship with God. So Paul, in Romans 5.1, tells us, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, he brings us peace with God. That's great news. That we can have that fellowship with God through Jesus, that he came and was our peace offering. He was our sacrifice to get that peace from God. So those are the first three. And they're kind of, they're kind of always put together. Technically, there are six, but the sixth one's for the priest, so five would deal with people. The first three are clumped together because that's people wanting to get close to God. That's people giving up something they've worked hard for, that they have some ownership in, so that they can get that closeness and fellowship with God. The last two we're going to cover are a little different. We have the sin and the guilt offering, and these two are offered up so that you could get right with God. So you did the sin and the guilt offering to get right with God so that you could do the other ones to have that fellowship with God. Because we all know that sin is so ugly that we can't be in the presence of God if we have sin. So this is how they would do the sin offering and the guilt offering. And then they would move into the other three. And it would be a festive thing, right? To do these offerings, they'd do it willingly. So the next one, the sin offering, this... This was not free will, right? You had to deal with your sins. This was a mandatory offering. It has very specific instructions, and it starts in chapter 4, and it kind of winds through almost chapter 5. I'm not going to read it because all that information is very, very important, but we're going to summarize it a little bit. 
Different people required different offerings for their sin. So you had the priests, you had the leaders of the time, and then you had common people. So they had to deal with their sin in a different way because they held different positions within Israel as a nation, right? So you had the priests, the leaders, and the common people. Leviticus 4.20 tells us that thus shall he do with the bull, this is talking about the priest, as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do this, and the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. So this is the first offering that we have that talks about forgiveness because we have to deal with that sin. It's not something that we can be like, eh, I'll worry about that later. Or, eh, I'm not really feeling it today. This was absolutely mandatory because you need to have that forgiveness. You have to deal with the sin. You have to face it. And it's in our nature to kind of try to get around things sometimes. Or, oh, I'm going to wait a little bit. This could not wait. This is absolutely mandatory. This offering is used for both individuals and groups. So like the Day of Atonement, the priest would have to give an offering to cover his sins. And Rob's kind of talked about this a little bit and how they had to deal with their sin because if they went into the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place with sin, that it would not end well for the priest. So they had to deal with their sin first and then they would go in on the Day of Atonement and deal with the sin of the whole nation. And the book of Hebrews kind of focuses on these Jewish people that they're so used to this. They're so used to, I have to go give my sacrifice for this offering to get forgiveness. That once Jesus did this for us, that they struggled, right? Because the Day of Atonement come, they're like, well, what do we do? I have this sin. Every year before this, I've brought up an offering for my sin, and the Day of Atonement covers all of us that we go and participate. What happened to my sin? So the book of Hebrews kind of covers that a little bit. And, and how the blood goes through. And when Rob talked about Jesus Christ, we have the tabernacle came first, and he got, the Lord gave instructions on how to build it because it was a mirror of what was in heaven. So when, when Rob stood here and said that Jesus took his own blood through all that in heaven to give his own blood as our sacrifice, that's what he was doing. There is no more need for the Day of Atonement because he did that for us. That he gave himself up to death with our sin on him, that he was our offering, and then he took his own blood and went through the whole process that a high priest would go through and used his own blood to pay for our sin. Because we had a debt, and he paid it with his own blood. So later on in Leviticus uh, chapter 6, verse 27... It talks about whatever touches the flesh of this offering becomes holy. So, of that time, typically touching blood and touching stuff like that was considered to be an unclean act. But when it talks about this, it talks about that it becomes holy. So thank goodness we're washed in the blood of Jesus, right? That we are now holy through him. It goes through a lot of animals for the common people because if you weren't wealthy, you, you still needed to have that forgiveness. You still needed to pay the price. And God gave these people so many things that they couldn't be like, I can't afford a bull or a lamb or a goat or a bird. It comes down 
And he says, you can give me grain as a sin offering, but it can have no oil and it can have no frankincense. So when we look at the two, you could actually use grain, but you remove the good things, right? The things that would make it smell good, the things that would be pleasing, because this is not meant to be pleasing. We've sinned against God, and this is our payment. This is our atonement for that sin. So you could take it, and you could use the grain, but it had to be prepared a different way to cover a sin offering. So that's really important. Then the last one we're going to talk about today is the guilt offering. Chapter 5, verse 14, says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally, in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord his compensation, a ram without blemish, of the flock, valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. So this is the first one that talks about money. So you've got to give something up because you have some guilt about something that you've done. So now you have to pay for that, but then there's also restitution, right? So that you've got to give the sacrifice and then you have to pay. So the sin offering fixes the sin and the guilt offering kind of focuses on the situation because if I sin against somebody, that creates a bad situation. It talks about theft and other th uh, trespasses against people. So if somebody was to go steal something from somebody, they've got to give it back. Then they've got to give some restitution back. So that kind of fixes the situation. And then the guilt offering, you got to do a sin offering because you've sinned too. So those two offerings together make you right with God. Fix the situation, you pay for the sin, and then you can go into the first three that were for fellowship. Because you can't go into fellowship without fixing the sin. You can't have fellowship with God while you have sin inside you, so you have to pay for the sin. Jesus is our guilt offering. It tells us this in Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 10. The prophet Isaiah says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So that tells us right there, this is Isaiah prophesying of Jesus coming, and he will be crushed, but his soul makes our guilt offering. So we've went through, in the moment of Jesus' death, taking on all of our sins, my sins, your sins, the sins of the world, forever, bore them on the cross, and committed his spirit to death. That is our atonement through Jesus. Amen. That we no longer have to do this because of Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and was put to death an innocent man. But in the sun being blocked out and the earth shaken and the curtain ripping and rock splitting, he gives up his spirit with our sins on him. And we know how, we all know how that ends, right? He goes to the grave. But there was no sin on him, so he rose again. And he lives in heaven, right? Amen. So to summarize today, I know we spent a lot of time in Leviticus, and I, I hope that you guys enjoy Leviticus as much as I do now, that I have a better appreciation of how important this book is, that it lifts Jesus up and truly shows us how amazing he is and how he truly fulfilled all of the Old Testament laws and all of the offerings. He is our offering. 
We gain atonement through him. He is our offering, and we are cleansed through his blood. The Old Testament law was not perfect. It was meant for a good man. And the world is not full of good men and women. We are very flawed. It was never meant to be perfect, right? It set the stage for Jesus Christ. Without all this, when Jesus come and they said it's the lamb, well, they wouldn't know what, what importance that carried back then if they didn't have these offerings to know how much weight that, blem that unblemished lamb carries and how we gain forgiveness through that. And then all these laws... You know, we look at Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He followed the law. Without the laws, we wouldn't know how difficult that was to live a perfect life. It shows us, the law and the offerings show us how much we have fallen short of the expectations of God, right? And this just lifts Jesus up and shows us the importance of Jesus and how much we truly need him in our lives because we cannot do it without him. And the book of Hebrews is, is kind of telling us that, and Rob's told us that, that these people, they want to give up that offering. They want to give up that sacrifice. They want to go back. But in that moment that Jesus Christ committed his spirit, there was no going back. There is no temple anymore. There are no sacrifices. So there is no going back. It was a life for a life. Jesus gave his life for my life and for yours. It's the only way it could happen, that my sins transferred onto him. It was a life for a life. I will enjoy eternal life because of Jesus Christ Amen. and what he did for me on the cross. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is our sacrifice, and he is our temple. So in that time, he was all of it, because that was very important. You had the priest, you had the sacrifice, and you had the temple. It had to happen at the temple. There were specific ways. The priest had to perform in a certain way. But through Jesus Christ, he is all three for us. So we don't have to worry about that. We've gained our atonement through Jesus, and we no longer need to give sacrifices. Because if we lived in Israel and there was a temple, we'd have to give bulls and goats and birds to pay that penalty for our sins. And we no longer have to do that. Because of Jesus Christ, he was the last sacrifice that ever needed to happen for all the sins. He was the perfect sacrifice. So today... We can apply that in our lives by living a better life for Jesus Christ, right? Amen. We need to live our lives after Jesus Christ. And we need to model ourselves after Jesus. He lived a perfect life and paid for my shortcomings. So I need to give myself up to God, right? I need to give my whole life to God. So I'm going to close with Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul's telling us, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? So if we can think of an area that we don't give up to God, we're wrong, right? Holy, devoted to God. We need to be wholly devoted to God. So I hope that we can take this message today and then we can spread it through the world. Yes. So I'm done. I think we're going to move into our time of invitation. So Bill's going to play a song. And if anybody feels free, they want to stand up and talk to somebody, you can talk to me, Bill, Tony.
Leroy, just find somebody. We'll get you somebody if you want to talk. And we can, we'd love to talk about the gospel with you. And if anybody's moved that they want to get closer with Jesus and, and they want to give their life up to Jesus, just meet with one of us and we can talk to you about how to do that. So, thank you guys. Thank you.